0: We will read our passage, Romans chapter 6. Holy Spirit, we ask you that you would open the eyes of our hearts. We don't want to merely see words on a page. We want to understand them. We want to appreciate them. We want to apply them to our lives and ultimately be changed. So let let us most of all experience... You shining the the light of Jesus Christ into our hearts and minds that we'd see more of Him and be amazed at His grace and glory. We ask You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd be reading from Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? This is Romans 6, 1 through 4, the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Thank you, Mindy. I can take that. I asked Joshua, why do a lot of churches put that little tagline on the end? And he said, well, it's a chance to thank God for his word. I said, "Oh, that makes sense. So thanks be to God. We are continuing our series, The Ordinary Extraordinary Church. The idea being that the church and and this church, well, they are, we are, rather ordinary in many ways. But the extraordinary God does extraordinary things through ordinary churches like this one. And we're continuing that idea today, but today is going to be more more of a theological sermon, you might say, Not so much an unpacking of one particular passage as we would normally do. We want to think about what it means to be a a sacramental people. A sacramental people referring to the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. You see, when I first came to faith in Jesus Christ in 1990, everything was brand new to me. And I decided I would not be baptized. I decided I would resist the idea of baptism. I decided that baptism, baptism related to empty religious rituals. And I now had a relationship with God. So I wasn't going to do religious stuff like baptism. I didn't realize that Jesus commands you to be baptized. <laughs> Is that what we mean by sacramental? Doing empty religious rituals? No. That's not what I mean. I mean intentionally valuing. Intentionally valuing and regularly benefiting from these two sacraments Jesus gives us. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now... Why only two? What makes a sacrament? What makes this thing we call a sacrament? Well, in our line of thinking, in what are called reformed Protestants like us, that, that stream of thinking that we are a part of, it's been said there are really two things needed for a sacrament. Two things. It must be instituted by Jesus for His people, and it must be a sign of a promise. From Jesus. So, instituted by Jesus, commanded by Jesus, and a sign of some promise we have in Jesus. So, for instance, some have counted foot washing to be a sacrament because Jesus washed his disciples' feet. A very powerful scene. Is that a sacrament? Well, we would not count that because Jesus was not commanding his people to do that as a kind of ceremony. And it wasn't serving as a sign of a promise. It was really an illustration of a command to love and serve each other. Or some count, many count, marriage to be a sacrament. And we believe marriage is very, very important. But we wouldn't put it on the sacrament list. And here's why. Marriage was not instituted by Jesus for His people. It was instituted by God for all people. In the book of Genesis, as we saw... And marriage is really not a, not a sign of a promise. Marriage is a promise. So to have and to hold until death do you part. So we wouldn't put marriage on the list as, as highly as we value marriage, however. But the Lord's Supper, for instance, the Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus, commanded by Jesus. He took the Jewish Passover feast and he took bread and he said, this is... Is my body given for you? And he took the cup of that peace and he said, This a feast, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, in my sacrifice. Do this, he said, do this. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. So he commands his people to do it. And it's a sign of great promises, as you'll hear next week. Like the fact that he is our Passover Lamb, God's judgment passing over all who believe. So we put the Lord's Supper on the sacrament list, and, and I know we owe you clarification on how we're thinking about distributing or administrating the Lord's Supper. We, we owe you clarification on our thinking there, and we'll bring that to you in a few weeks. Thank you for being patient. Secondly, baptism is also a sacrament. Now, people baptized before Jesus. It was a, a ritual, ceremonial washing. But Jesus took baptism and he commanded his people to do it. He said, go therefore, Matthew 28, go therefore, make disciples, baptizing them, right? He instituted this, this rite, this ceremony, baptism, and called his people to do it. And it's a sign of glorious promises as we're going to see today. So that's why only two sacraments And hopefully that gives you a sense also of what they're about. You might say they are physical emblems of spiritual realities. Physical emblems of of spiritual, glorious realities. The church father, Augustine, he gave us kind of a classic definition of sacraments that we often use. That it's an outward physical sign of an inward spiritual grace an outward physical sign of an inward spiritual grace in other words sacraments are signs because they signify something that word sign is in that word signify isn't it sacraments are signs because they signify something think of a think of the traffic light and when it turns from red to green and you see a green light, that is a sign signifying something. What does a green light signify? It means go, right? It doesn't, doesn't mean stop. means go. Go forward into the intersection. In the same way, a sacrament is a sign signifying our covenant, our relationship with God through Jesus. It's a sign they're also sometimes called seals. a seal being something that confirms or ratifies. a seal showing the, the binding nature of this relationship. Think of, think of a passport. You could go home today on your computer, pull up a word document, create something you call passport and you could print it out on your printer, and you could say, I have a passport now. And you could take it to the airport (laughs) and try to fly somewhere. Will that passport that you printed out, will that help you go somewhere? Will that confirm in any way your citizenship in this country? I I hope not. But if that passport has the seal of the United States of America, does that change anything? I think you're going to get on the plane. <laughs> it, it confirms something, doesn't it? it? It ratifies something. It confirms your citizenship or what have you. And that's what a sacrament is like. It's, it's confirming. It's, it's ratifying, if you will, this, this relationship we have with God by His grace through faith in Christ. So that's a sacrament. A sign signifying, pointing to something. A, a seal confirming, ratifying something. And if you want to find that terminology, you can look in Romans chapter 4, verse 11, applied to circumcision, but you find that terminology there. The sacrament we want to focus on today is baptism. Next week, the Lord's Supper. Today, baptism. But I want to make a disclaimer, if you will. A disclaimer. Because the sacraments have been, I think unfortunately, in ways at least, an area of controversy in the church over the centuries. And some of that controversy was needed, but sometimes, sometimes maybe not to the degree we have it. As it relates to baptism, here's what I mean: Protestants like us have a friendly debate. (laughs) A friendly debate over whether or not to baptize the infants of believing parents. For us here, we baptize believers in Jesus, not their infant children. That's our conviction from Scripture, but I think it needs to be said in integrity that there are good theological arguments you can make on the other side of that friendly debate. You can make a good theological, biblical argument for giving the infant child of a believing parent the sign of that covenant. I I think there's more to take into consideration biblically speaking. But that argument has theological weight to it. So I think Wayne Grudem, Dr. Wayne Grudem is right when he says baptism is not a major doctrine that Christians should divide over. There are major doctrines. He says this is not one of them. It's important. It has implications for church life, absolutely, but not something we need to divide ourselves over. So here's my disclaimer we try hard to be a church that is very welcoming to brothers and sisters in Christ who have a differing view on the baptism of infants, of believing parents. We don't require them to change their view. We don't require them to be sort of rebaptized. So if you have a different view, it's okay with us. You're, you're among friends. Now let's think about then, with that disclaimer aside, three things baptism does. Three things baptism does. Here's the first. Baptism signifies our union with Christ. It's a sign, we said, right? It signifies. And it signifies especially our union with Christ. Now, baptism certainly signifies a number of glorious things that God does for everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, like cleansing from our sin, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, the washing of regeneration, renewal, new life, the power of the Holy Spirit, Titus chapter 3, deliverance from judgment, like Noah and the flood, 1 Peter 3. But here in Romans 6, here in Romans 6, it signifies especially our union, our spiritual union with Jesus. You see, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul has been extolling the grace of God in Christ. He's been celebrating the the free grace of God to all who believe. He's talked about the grace that, that propitiates God's wrath. That means Jesus took what we deserve on the cross God's judgment, God's wrath against our sins so that for all who believe, wrath turns into favor by grace. He's talked about how grace, God's grace justifies us in Christ. That means declares us legally and forever righteous with the righteousness of Jesus Christ by grace. But that should raise a question for you. He anticipates an objection the question of verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? If, if all that grace is freely given to us through faith in Jesus, why not keep sinning? Why not give myself to sin? Never wonder that. If more sin means more grace from God, Should I just keep on sinning? Good question. Here's the answer. Verse 2. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He's saying the genuine Christian is so radically changed, dying to sin, that they just can't honestly give themselves to it any longer like they once did. You can't live in sin, he says, because you died to sin somehow. And notice what he uses to explain that. Baptism. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Did you see the phrases there? Baptized into Christ Jesus. Baptized into His death. Buried with Him by baptism into death. Raised with Jesus. The Apostle Paul is talking about the reality of our spiritual union with Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection. And he's saying, baptism signifies that. He's using baptism as a a sign to point to that spiritual union with Jesus. It's, It's the union... The union Jesus described in John chapter 15, when he said, I'm the true vine, and you are branches. It's a helpful picture, right? He says, left to yourself, you're a branch. If you're on your own, as a branch, lying on the ground, you're not, you're not doing a lot. You're not accomplishing a lot. You're just a dead branch on your own. Lying on the ground, you're waiting for the, the big uh, someone to drop you into the big green bin and, and be hauled off with all of the other yard clippings. You're just a branch on the ground left to yourself. But, but if you're a branch joined to the vine, if you're a branch that is united to the vine, then what happens? then the life-giving power of the vine is flowing through you as a branch and you bear much fruit, like nice juicy grapes or something like that. It's a picture of our spiritual union with Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is saying baptism is a sign of that. It signifies that. Baptism does not create the union. The Holy Spirit does. Baptism signifies that union with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. It's like the green light of the traffic light. Green light signifies go. Green light signifies move forward. Drive ahead. Baptism signifies two crucial promises. Promise number one, I am joined with Jesus in his death and so have died to sin slavery. And promise number two, I am joined with Jesus in his resurrection and have been raised to new life. Baptism if you will, it signifies that a kind of pickling process has happened to you. A pickling process. When you pickle something, it seems to me, it is fundamentally changed. That nice cucumber becomes a nasty dill pickle. Sorry to our pickle lovers. My dear wife is Korean. She's teaching the kids. Koreans love kimchi. Koreans grow up on kimchi. Live for kimchi. It's it's an acquired taste if you don't like it. It's a spicy pickled cabbage. It's, It's fermented cabbage. That means the cabbage has new properties. It has a new odor. Very pungent odor. It has new tastes. It's great with rice. It has new chemical compounds in it. The cabbage has taken on new properties. Baptism makes that statement about you. You have died with Christ. Sin is no longer your master. You have raised with Christ. You now walk in newness of life. Baptism signifies our union with Jesus. Second thing. Second thing, baptism identifies us with Jesus and His people. It identifies us with Jesus and His people. I think this is an implication of Romans 6, but it's more explicit in Matthew 28 that I referenced earlier. When the risen Jesus says to His disciples, disciples then and by implication disciples now, He said, Go therefore, Make disciples, make followers of mine, of all nations, in every people group, baptizing them, baptizing them in the name of, here's the identification, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. When you are baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are, you are identifying with the triune God. Sometimes you'll see in the New Testament, it simply says, baptized in the name of Jesus, like Acts chapter 2. That's just shorthand for the same thing. It's not really different. It's just shorthand to say you identify with Jesus and so you identify with all members of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why baptism marks the beginning of the Christian life. You identify with Jesus. You could think of it this way. The, the word sacrament is from a Latin word, sacramentum, which they used to use way back in the day as an oath of allegiance when you join the military. So millennia ago, let's say you joined the Roman army, you would take a sacramentum. You'd take an oath of allegiance, probably to Caesar, Baptism is like that. I declare my allegiance to Jesus Christ and the triune God. I am his, and he is mine. It's also like, it's like a wedding ring in a way. This, this wedding ring is a kind of a sign, it, it signifies my marriage covenant to sung my wife. This is not my original wedding ring, unfortunately. I lost my original wedding ring a few years ago in Coronado, and a big wave wiped me out and off went my ring. But I went and got a new one right away because I want this ring to declare my allegiance to one lady. One dear lady is my wife, so I declare my allegiance to her. That's what you're doing in baptism. I am His, and He is mine. It's why, it's why you can lose your head in parts of the world for being baptized, in parts of the Middle East. You identify with Jesus through baptism, and you're found out. Your family disowns you. You are an outcast, and you probably lived your life on the run. Baptism means a lot to them, and it should mean a lot to us. But it's not, it's not just an individualistic thing, not just a Jesus and me kind of thing. We're, we're identifying with Jesus' people also. Also with Jesus' people. The Apostle Paul uses baptism in a, in a different sense in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Here's what he says. He says, In one spirit... We were all baptized into one body. and that's, that's talking about a baptism the Holy Spirit does, but notice what He does. We're, we're joined into one body. We're joined to Christ, and in a real sense, joined to His people. That's why we should also think of baptism as a, a corporate sign, not just an individual thing, a, a corporate thing, a, a church thing, I A tie that binds us together, I've heard Michael Horton put it. A tie that binds us together as family members in Christ. It's why I would would discourage going home and in the privacy of your home baptizing your children in the bathtub later today. Personally, I would discourage that. I'm not condemning you if you did that last night. But I would discourage that. A private Bathtub baptism says, I need Jesus, but not the people of Jesus. I want the head, Jesus, but not the body, the church. And it's meant to be a corporate sign. And it's why we have baptisms. We've begun having them right out on the patio out there. We'll do so in November. So we can be there as a church and rejoice together. So baptism, secondly, identifies us with Jesus And his people. But one more thing. One more thing. Thirdly, baptism strengthens our faith, signifies our union with Jesus, identifies us with Jesus and his people. But catch this one with me it strengthens our faith. You might say, Tab, it's just a symbol. And the sacraments are symbols, but they're more than symbols as well. Remember, they are are signs and, and seals of this relationship with God through Jesus. And God uses those signs and seals in a real spiritual way. Kind of like this. There's a close connection between the sign and the thing it signifies. There's a close connection when you see the green light saying, go, do you sit there? No, what do you do? You drive forward. You move into the intersection where the guy behind you going to start honking. Get moving, buddy. All right, that's what I do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't put that on you. Do um, you see the connection? Green light means go, so I go. There's a connection between sign. And what it signifies, that's true with these sacramental signs. And God uses that connection to strengthen our faith. I'm not saying, I'm not saying the sacraments have magical powers. They do not. I'm saying, God uses these sacraments as means, channels, pipelines of His grace into your life to strengthen your faith. And I want that. Think of it this way. In preaching, hopefully it's happening today, you are hearing God's promises from His Word. So you're using your sense of hearing right now, and hopefully God is strengthening your faith as you use your sense of hearing. In the sacraments, God addresses our minds and hearts through the other senses. We see and feel the water of baptism. A few moments ago, you were able to taste and and touch and smell the bread and the cup of the Lord's Supper. So God was confirming His promises through your other senses and so strengthening your faith that way. Do you track with me? It's for this reason, Augustine called the sacraments visible words. I love that phrase. It's the word of God made visible to you. You see something of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We have that way. We have drama in our worship. We have a drama team. Did you know that? We do. We regularly perform two dramas. The Lord's Supper and Baptism. We, we act out God's promises in Christ that way. We, we are visibly represent them. And by doing so, God strengthens our hearts. I, I like how Ligon Duncan has put this. Dr. Duncan has said, In the sacraments, God takes us into His kindergarten. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way at all. In a very endearing way. In the sacraments, God takes us into His kindergarten. In other words, the reality of being joined to Jesus is kind of hard to grasp, isn't it? Maybe you were thinking that. Like, weird stuff, Tad. Can't get my mind around. I'm joined to Jesus. Can't get my mind around. My life is hidden with Christ. And so God uses His sacraments to take us into His kindergarten to visibly and, and tangibly. Help us grasp this reality and so strengthen our faith. You might say, well, give me a biblical example of this tab. Okay, I'll give you one. I'll give you one. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls a guy named Abram, probably out of moon worship, and makes him some mind-blowing promises. He said, Abram, guess what? you got a good day happening. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going make you a great people. And through you'll be blessing to every family, all nations of the earth, Key key promise in your Bible. Abraham says, Cool, I believe your promises, I'm heading to the land. Time goes on though, and he and his wife Sarah remain childless. Time goes on further, and then in Genesis 15, God, God cuts a covenant with him. Literally. That means they cut God Abraham cut animals in half and a representation of God passed between the animals as God was saying to Abraham so happen to me if I break my promises to you. Pretty good assurance. But what happens after that? A lot more time goes by. A lot more time. Still childless. Years go by. Abraham is sure God has forgotten about him. And so he has a child with his wife's maid, certain servant, Hagar, basically saying, I'm going to fulfill these promises on my own. Kind of a bad idea. More time goes by. I mean, they're getting old now. As in, elderly old. As in, it's impossible to have children now, kind of old. And then in Genesis 17... God gives him a sign of this covenant, circumcision. Now a lot we could say about that, but why does God give him a sign to signify this covenant? He's already made promises to Abraham, and God does not lie. So why also give a sign to signify his promises? Certainly in part, to strengthen Abraham's faith. God gives us these sacraments not because His promises are weak but because He knows our faith can be weak. And so He brings us into His kindergarten as a means of grace to minister to you and strengthen your faith in Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and And you feel like Abraham. You think maybe God has forgotten you. You're wondering, where is God right now? Look, God took you in His kindergarten this morning. In the bread, in the cup. He visually represented His promises to you. So that you would have your faith strengthened. Or maybe you're here and you're thinking, I don't know about all that union with Christ stuff, that newness of life stuff. I'm not seeing that in my life, though I'm a Christian. Listen, through the Lord's Supper and certainly through baptisms, you are reminded God brings you into His kindergarten. You are reminded that you have died with Jesus and been raised with Jesus. And you do walk, if you're a Christian, in newness of life. You see why, while we're calling this the ordinary, extraordinary church? It's just ordinary bread, ordinary wine or grape juice, ordinary water in baptism through which God signifies extraordinary promises and does an extraordinary work in your heart to help you keep going with Jesus. So let me apply this in a few different categories, and then I'm done. Let's apply this in a few different ways. First, if you're a believer in Jesus and you've already been baptized, You might be here wondering, yeah, but Tab, I only get baptized once, so how is baptism going to be a means of strengthening my faith? I get the Lord's Supper being regularly a blessing to me. How is baptism supposed to make a difference? Well, here's an answer. As you remember your baptism when you see someone else being baptized, the the Westminster Larger Catechism, it's a 17th century teaching device through questions and answers. It asks this question. It says, how is our baptism to be improved by us? And that's just old English to say, how do you benefit more from your baptism? How do you benefit more? Here's their answer. It's a good one. As you observe baptism being administered to someone else, by a serious, thankful consideration of the nature of it and the ends for which God instituted it and the benefits conferred and sealed by it and our solemn vow made therein by being humbled for our sinful defilement and growing up in the assurance of pardon of sin, drawing strength from the death and resurrection of Christ, from mortifying sin and what it means to have given up your name to Christ. You might say, what does that just say? What did that just say? It's saying when you see a baptism, be intentional Consider to consider your baptism and what it signifies for you. Consider the saving benefits you have in Jesus. Consider God's great promises that are confirmed to you. In Christ remember that your own soul needs Jesus and be assured that you have Jesus and all his benefits by faith and remember that you have given up your name to Christ you have pledged your allegiance to him you have identified with Jesus through baptism and friends your soul your soul will be built up as well Secondly if you are a believer in Jesus but you've not yet been baptized. I hope the application's pretty straightforward. Be baptized. It is Jesus' command. It's not my idea. And there are baptisms coming up November 11th. You can pick up a little form in the back of the information table. It's got a little application for some information. Help us get to know you. Let us know you're interested. We'd love to talk to you about that. Third group. You, have a par- you are a parent, rather, and you have a child who may want to be baptized. I would say first, rejoice in your child's spiritual interest and nourish that. Nurture that. Talk to them about Christ and what it means to follow Christ and pick up a thing there in the back, a little uh, guideline that, that walks you through some some suggestions for how to walk with a child through this process of considering baptism and let us know after you've done that and we'd love to walk with you with that fourth group you're here but not yet a believer in Jesus and i would just say we're so glad you're here thank you for coming thank you for coming I do you believe you're in the right place so glad you've joined us today The next step for you is not baptism, but believing. Believing. The next step is turn from going your own way and turn to Jesus and trust. Rely on what he's done for you. Rely on his life lived for you. Rely on his death, which he died for you. Rely on his resurrected life for you. Turn to Jesus, trust in what he's done. He promises to receive all who genuinely come to him. So I urge you, friend, I urge you, turn to God in Christ. God has so loved you that he has not withheld his own son, but given him for you. I urge you to turn to him, believing, and then be baptized. We began asking, we began asking, why must we be a sacramental people, intentionally valuing, regularly benefiting from these sacraments? Why? I hope you see the answer. These sacraments are all about the gospel. They're all about the good news of what Jesus has done. For you and me. And last week we said we want our culture, we want our culture as a church to be gospel centered, to be centered on Jesus Christ and these sacraments help us do just that. So would the music team please come. We're going to end by celebrating that good news. We're going to sing a song called Before the Throne of God. And it's a song, I want you to notice, it's a song that captures our union with Jesus that we talked about. Remember that vine and branches thing? Your life hidden with Christ thing? This song captures some of that with words like, He's graven you on His hands. He's, He's written you on His heart. Your life is hidden with God in Christ. So, friend, God has not forgotten you. Let's pray and ask Him to minister to us that reality right now. Father, thank You. Thank You for these sacraments that remind us, that point to this good news. The good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We thank you that all who believe are joined to Jesus and nothing can separate us from your love. Help us now as we sing to rejoice in that truth. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Let's